All right, well, good morning. Uh, like Brian said, my name is Dave Shive. If you don't know who I am, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. I'm glad you all came out to worship with this morning. Before we get started, I want to test your memory, see how good your memory is. A couple of weeks ago, Brian Legg shared with us what the mission and the vision of this church was, and we had a kind of a vision statement. Does anybody remember what that vision statement is? Can anybody say that for me? Don't be shy. Starts with living since as the hands and feet of Jesus to impact the community and the world around us with the good news of Jesus Christ. It sounds like a mouthful, right? But that's our mission. That's, that's what God's given us. And it's important that you get that and you understand it because it is the core of who we are. We are called to live since. It's a critical component, and it's the main emphasis of the vision God's given TBA Church. See, I believe God gives every church the same purpose. That's to go and make followers of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what the church's goal is. But how that purpose is implemented, I think, is unique to each individual church. And God made it really clear to us as TBA at the very beginning that our vision and our mission was to live sin, but to live sin in a way that was tangible. And what I mean by that is that we get our hands involved. We get deep down involved. And we're, rela- we're relational with people. We, we begin relationships with people who don't know Jesus Christ. So for the past three weeks, we've been in this vision series called Live Sent, laying out what God has asked this church to do. And so I want to start by reviewing the last few weeks with you for one minute. And if you haven't been here for the whole series, let me just... I highly encourage you, go to our website, download those messages, and listen to the ones you missed, because you want to get the whole full picture of what we're talking about. But let me give you the Cliff Notes version really quick. Brian Legg started us out telling us that we all have been created with a purpose. It's innate in all of us. It's who we are. It's a part of who we are. And that purpose that we've been created to fulfill is a simple one. It's a simple purpose. Love God and love other people. But the problem comes is when we're not fulfilling our purpose because we're following our own selfish desires and our own schedules. We've traded God's purposes for our own. And the solution for that is to move back to the way God created us, to the way God intended us to be, to adjust our lives, to change our priorities and our schedules to His, to His purpose and plan for our lives. And then Brian Stiverson, the next week, he took it a step deeper and he said that in order for us to fulfill that purpose, of living sin, that we've got to start looking around and seeing how God is working in and around us. Remember, he talked about those fingerprints of God, where God's working. We need to be looking for those things. But in order to do that, we have to adjust our hearts and sometimes our attitudes to be able to see where God is working and how he's working and how he wants us to join in and be a part. And then last week, Ken talked about the power of story that stories inspire us and they connect us to one another and everybody has a story to tell. You have a story, I have a story, and God has a story. And part of living sin is telling your story of what God has done in your life to others around you. So today we're going to finish this series with hopefully I'm going to give you some practical things that you can take with you that will help you to start living sin in your life. And we're going to do that by living out and inviting in. 
live out and invite in because that's what we've got to do. That's what we have to do in order to live sin. We have to do all of this. We have to live out and we have to invite in. And we have to be that dash in the middle, that hyphen. And I know that sounds a little strange, but stay with me and I'm going to explain it to you. So let's start with live out. What, is, what, is, what do I mean by living out? Well, basically, it's just like it sounds. You need to live your faith outside of these walls. You need to live your faith outside of these walls. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is more than just coming here on Sunday and singing a few songs and accumulating knowledge of the Bible. See, faith, faith requires action. It just does. James makes that really clear. Without action, our faith is what? It's empty and it's useless. So we have to live out our faith. We have to recognize those fingerprints of God that Stivey was talking about. Find where God is at work. Listen to the things that God's put on your heart. Look at the people that he's put in your path. And then we've got to be the tangible, hands-on, tangible hands and feet of Jesus. And you might say, well, Dave, what, what does that really look like? What does it mean to really live out? What does that mean in my life? Well, I think it's different for every person. I think that's the beauty of the body of Christ. See, each of us are unique, and God has given us each different talents, gifts, and resources. Some of you have the gift of talking. I won't mention names, but some of you have the gift of talking. And you can talk to a complete stranger and in five minutes make them feel like they're your best friend. Now, as an introvert, that scares me to death. It's the last thing that I would want to do is go talk to a stranger. But that's okay, because we're supposed to have different gifts. My my gift is different than yours, and yours is different than mine. But we we use all of our gifts to reach people, to reach a variety of people. And see, God has also given us different passions. I have a passion to work with teenagers and to help them fall in love with Jesus Christ for the rest of their life. Now, for some of you, that scares you to death, and that's okay. Because God has put different things on our hearts. Your passion doesn't have to be my passion. Your passion may be working on cars or helping with financial needs or feeding and clothing the poor or working with children. Your passion may be to go to Africa and spread the gospel of Christ as a missionary around the world. Wait a minute. Dave, are you saying I have to be a missionary to live sent? Yep. Yes, I am. Because we're all called to be missionaries. I'm not telling you you have to quit your job and sell your house and move to Africa. Unless that's what God's telling you to do and you better well do it if that's what he's saying. But what I'm saying is is that we're all called to be missionaries. See, God has put each of us in a unique position and placed different people in our paths. We have different friends and we have different families. We have different schoolmates and co-workers. And I can't live my faith out in front of your co-workers. Only you can do that. And so you have to be a missionary where God has placed you. And so what you have to do is you have to figure out what are these gifts and talents that God, God's given me. And then you've got to combine them with the passion that he's put on your heart. And then you've got to look for where God is at work with those people that he's put in your life. And you have to live out your faith in front of them. You have to live your faith out in front of them. And then we have to invite in. We live out and then we invite in. Because, see, living sent is so much more than just giving a hand out. 
It's more than just helping with physical needs or financial needs. Don't, please don't get me wrong. Humanitarian things and serving others is very, very important. The way to save the soul of somebody who's thirsty begins with giving them physical water. Because until that's taken care of, they're not going to be in the position to know that they need spiritual water. So we do that. We serve and we, we take care of physical needs. But if we only do that, if we only take care of the humanitarian needs, then we miss the most important part, which is their soul and their salvation and their spiritual well-being. And so what we do is we invite them in. We invite them in to be part of our lives. We invest in them relationally with the hope and the purpose of sharing God with them. Remember the verse that, that Ken shared with us last week from Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians? It says this, We loved you so much that we shared with you not only good news, but our own lives too. Shared our lives as well. See, we adjust our lives and our attitudes to be in line with God's purposes. And then we combine our gifts and our passions and we live out our faith in front of the people that God has put into our lives. And then we invite them in to a relationship that knows the love of Jesus Christ. That's what living scent is. That's it. And again, that invitation looks different for every relationship that you have. For some people in your life, that invitation might be inviting them to church. might not be for others. It might be sim as simply inviting them over for dinner. That might be their first step. It might be inviting a coworker out to lunch. It may mean sending an encouraging email because you see somebody struggling. It might mean going across the street and introducing yourself to your neighbor. It might even mean inviting your non-Christian friends to be a part of the ministry and passion that God's given you. See, you would be surprised how many non-Christians are willing to work with you side by side as we serve other people. They love doing it. See, I don't know what that invitation is for those people that God's put in your life, but you need to be listening to the Holy Spirit to tell you what that is and when you should extend it. And here's where the dash part comes in. Here's where that bridge comes in. The dash is that bridge between living your faith out and connecting that to inviting other people into that faith that you live out. And those dashes, they're, they're different moments in time. It's different God-given moments. Some may be as simple as inviting somebody over to dinner, but it might, might also be something as critical as when you're asking somebody about their belief in God. And see, that's why it requires the guidance of the Holy Spirit, because they're God-designed and orchestrated moments, opportunities that God gives you to help people take the next step in their journey of faith, wherever they are. But you have to be open, and you have to be listening to the Holy Spirit to guide you, to know when to be the dash, to be the bridge, to know when to invite them deeper into that relationship. So that's living sin. I mean, that's the crux of it. And so maybe you're going, well, Dave, I still don't know where to start. What do I do? Well, this is what I would tell you to do. Serve at the hub house during homework club, helping kids to understand and know the love of Jesus Christ. Get involved with our food pantry where we take food and meet the physical needs of people but also bring them spiritual hope. Or take a big jump, take a big risk, 
and go to Honduras on this next mission trip where we're fostering relationships to help our sister church live sin in the community around them. See, these are corporate representations of what we're asking you to do individually, to live sin. We place these things in place to show you what it looks like to live sin in a tangible way. So if you don't know where to start, start there. It's a great place to start. But let me try to paint a better picture for you. There's a great story in the Bible that really shows what I'm talking about. It's in Acts chapter 16. So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible app, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 16. And we're going to start in verse 22. And this is on Paul's second missionary trip. And him and Silas, they're in a town called Philippi. And they come across this demon-possessed woman who's making these other guys money as a fortune teller. And she keeps following Paul and Silas around everywhere, just harassing them day after day to the point Paul just gets fed up with it and he casts out the demon. And the people who were making money off of her, well, they didn't take too kindly to it. They kind of got upset. And so here's what happens in verse 22. And a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into the prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon, and he clamped their feet in stocks. Now around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Can you imagine? Just imagine. Try to put yourself in Paul and Silas's shoes for one moment. Here they are, they they had just been stripped of their clothes and beaten with rods, with wooden rods. And then they're put in these stocks, not just thrown in prison, but they're put in these stocks that are meant to continue their pain throughout the night. And what do they do? They don't complain. They don't argue. They begin to sing praises to God. In the midst of their suffering and pain... Here they are living out their faith no matter what the consequences are, no matter what the circumstances are. Can you even imagine? They didn't have any idea what was going to happen next. They they didn't know if they were going to live or die, if they were going to be released. They had no idea. But they lived out their faith regardless of the consequences and regardless of of the circumstance. Can you imagine if we had that bold kind of faith? If we lived out our faith, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our consequences, can you imagine if we had that kind of bold faith, what, what kind of church would we be? What kind of impact would we have on this community around us if we said, no matter what, we're going to live our faith out? No matter how I feel, no matter the circumstances, we're going to live our faith out. How life-changing would that be? Look at verse 26. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors open. He assumed that the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We're all here. 
See, here's where the dash comes in, that, that bridge I was talking to you about. The, those God-prescribed moments. Look at it from the jailer's perspective. He's in charge of these prisoners. And when he wakes up and he finds all the cell doors open, he decides to take his life. Because for him, death is the only option at this point. See, death is all he sees. There is no other option but death. Because as a Roman soldier, if you let your prisoners escape, your punishment was death. They killed you. So for him, it's the only option, death by his own hand or a more painful death by the Romans. But then Paul says, stop. Don't kill yourself. We're all here. And in that one moment, in that one phrase, in that one sentence, Paul and Silas become the bridge between death and life for the jailer. Think about it. That one sentence, he now has hope. They're the bridge between death and life, the bridge between despair and hope, the bridge between the jailer and God Almighty. They were a bridge. And that's what we're called to do. We are called to be the bridge, to be the dash between God and those who don't know God. Paul and Silas are the bridge. They're the dash, and they invite the jailer in. They invite him in. Look at verse 29. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then they brought him out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then everyone in his household were immediately baptized. And he brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. And he as an entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now you might be saying, well, Dave, I can't be Paul. And I'm, I would say you're right. You can't. You can't be Paul. God's not expecting you to be Paul. He's not going to put you in a situation that you can't handle. Because I don't know about you, but for me, if I was in his position and those shackles fell off, I would have left before the jailer woke up. But God has you where you are for a specific reason. See, you are in the lives of the people around you for a specific purpose. You live on the street you live. You work at the job you have. You go to your particular school. You were born into a specific family you have relationships and acquaintances. You have a very specific reason and purpose for where you are and who the people are that are in your life. And that purpose is to be a bridge of life, to be light in their darkness, to be hope in their hopelessness. Are you living that way? Are you living out, outside of these walls, outward focused with intention? Are you looking for opportunities to invite people in to be that bridge? Do you see your life filled with God's purposes? If not, why? Why not? It's what you were created to do. It's what you were called to do. Each one of us were called to do this thing. What holds you back? 
What holds you back? Is it fear? Fear of rejection? Is it sin in your life that weighs you down? Are your priorities just messed up? Are you just apathetic towards God about it? See, there is no greater pursuit. I tell these kids and youth all the time, there is no greater pursuit in your life than following Jesus Christ and spreading the amazing good news of his love and salvation. There is nothing more worthy of your life. See, all of these things that we chase in life, money, jobs, achievements, entertainment, they're earthly things. And in the end, they will be nothingness. And when we chase them, they leave us so empty and unfulfilled. And you know I'm speaking the truth to you. Because you've chased them and you sit and you go, why am I so empty and unfulfilled? But man, when you help somebody find eternal life, when you help somebody find hope when they thought everything was hopeless, when you help somebody find restoration for their very souls, well, now that fills, that fills your heart. It fills it to overwhelming so that it spills out and it becomes contagious to everybody around you. What if we became that kind of church? What if TBA became that church? We fulfilled the mission that he gave us that our hearts were overflowing and that contagious Christian living scent took hold and ran across this community, what would that look like? Man, it would be powerful. I want, I want to be a part of that. You want to be a part of that? I want to see that. I want to see God move. But we have to be obedient. We have to be obedient to what he calls us to do. It's not going to happen if we sit and never do anything. We have to be obedient to the things that he's called us, and he's called us to this. I think we can be that kind of church. I believe TBA can be the contagious kind of church. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you some things that will help get you started to live sent in your life, to live out and invite in, so that you can be obedient to the call God's put on your life. Here's the first thing, and you can write these on your notes. Here's the first thing. It has to start with prayer. We have to start with prayer. Prayer is the key to the whole thing. You have to understand that none of this will be effective if we are not on our knees in prayer asking God to intervene. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. Don't underestimate it. We have to be on our knees. We have to be on our knees for this community, for those people in our lives. Because prayer does a couple of things for us. One, it keeps us dependent upon God and His power. And it reminds us that we can't do anything in our own strength. It's only in God's power. Second, it changes our attitude towards the people that we're praying for. See, it helps us see them with different eyes and different hearts. And it really, really it helps us see them the way that God sees them. And it increases our desire to help them find salvation. Man, I can't emphasize this enough. I can't. Prayer is the start. It is the key. It is everything to living sin. Inside your bulletin, there should be a card. I want you to take that card out right now. And here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to put at least one name on that card. One person that you have in your life that God wants you to start praying for. That God wants you to start pursuing. That God wants you to start sharing the love of Jesus Christ with. So take that one person. I've given you five slots to fill out, but right for, for right now, just fill out one. Because I think everybody needs more than one person. But maybe you don't have that many people, and you need to start praying, God, who do you want me to be praying for? And you need to be open to who he wants you to start praying for. But at least start with that one single person and put them on that line. And go ahead and write it in now. Don't wait till you get home. Do it right now. Who is that person that God's put on your heart that you want them to find salvation? You want them to find hope. You want them to find freedom. Who is that person? Write that name down. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to start praying for them. Keep that card wherever you're going to see it every day. And I want you to start praying for that person every single day. And I mean every day. Don't let a day go by that you don't pray for them. Truly make it a part of your daily prayer life. Be on your knees for them. Intercede with God for them. And watch what God does through it. Because I think you're going to be surprised how he's going to work through your prayer. The next thing you need to do is you need to build your street cred. Everybody know what street cred is? I talk with kids all the time, so I want to make sure. Everybody knows what street cred is, right? Credibility. You need, to bring up, you need to build your street cred. See, Paul did this wherever he went. Here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians. He says, Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we wouldn't be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, urged you to live lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. See, if you are a follower of Christ, then you are representing Christ meaning you're the walking advertisement of Jesus. You're the walking advertisement of who he is and what he's about. If your life does not show any evidence of who Jesus is, and what I mean by that, I mean fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If your life doesn't reflect any of those things, then how can you expect others around you to believe that the gospel has any validity at all. If you're living your life in direct opposition to God's will, then how can you expect others to take you seriously about following God? See, Paul worked hard to build his street cred. He made sure that he wasn't a burden to them. He made sure that he treated them with love and respect, and he lived in a way that gave validity to his words that he was preaching. He invested in them, invested in a relationship with them, developed a trust and a foundation first. He did those things first. Because you have to earn the right to speak truth into somebody's life. Let me say that again. You have to earn the right to speak truth in somebody's life. So you have to build your street cred. I'm not saying you have to live a perfect life. 
That's impossible. Because we're all messed up. I'm messed up. You're messed up. We all sin. We all fail. I understand that. We all have things that we struggle with. And thank God that he still works through our fallen nature. Because he does. He still works through us even though we're broken. But what I'm talking about is a consistent way of life. If you get drunk every Saturday night, it's kind of hard to talk about self-control to your friends. If you speak like a sailor and lose your temper at work, it's kind of hard to talk about patience and kindness. If you live your life with hate and bitter words, how can you ever talk to anybody about the love of God? Live your life in a way that builds credibility. Give the gospel validity, and then you will be able to speak into the lives of others. So we've got to pray, we build our street cred, and then we've got to look to be the dash. Look to be the dash. See, we are so concerned with our own circumstances and busyness in life that we often don't see what God has right in front of us. See, Paul and Silas, they could have easily been concerned about getting out of jail, about the pain that they were in. If I was in their position, I probably would have been. But see, they had eyes looking for opportunity, looking to be that dash. Even in the midst of deep suffering and pain, they saw opportunity. And it was a God-prescribed moment, a moment for them to be the bridge. Don't miss those moments. Don't miss them. See the interruptions in your life as God designed. Let me say that again. Those interruptions that are in your life, those things that drive you crazy because it gets you off your schedule or it messes up your plans, I'm telling you, they're God prescribed. They're designed. Look at them and see what God is doing in the midst of it. They're planned by God for a reason. Remember, we're adjusting our lives to his plan and his purpose, not the other way around. And finally, continue to pursue. Continue to pursue. I don't know how long it will take for you to have an opportunity to speak, to Jesus, uh, to speak about Jesus to those around you. It might be today. It might be when you go home this afternoon. But it might be next year. It might be five years from now. It might be ten years from now. See, the timeline is really up to God. Remember, it's God that draws people to Him. But don't stop. Don't stop because it takes a long time. Continue to pursue. Continue to pray. Continue to build relationships. Continue to invite them in, even if they say no and reject you. Continue to invite them in. Never give up on them. God never gave up on you. And aren't you glad he didn't? Don't give up on them. As the band comes forward, I want to leave you with this. On the bottom of that card that you were filling out, there is a spot for the name of somebody that you are going to invite to our Easter service. I'm asking you, all of you, to invite somebody to Easter service. Listen, this is an easy ask. Brian said in the announcements, people are more likely to accept an invitation to church at Easter and Christmas time than any other time of the year. See, a survey was done not too long ago that said this. It said three out of four, think about this, three out of four people 
would have attended Easter service last year if only somebody they knew asked them. Three out of four would have come if somebody they knew asked them. So I want you to personally ask somebody to come to Easter service. Write that name on the bottom of the card. Begin praying for them until that time. Pray that God opens up an avenue for you to ask them, that God gives you an opportunity to talk to them about coming to church with you on Easter. And if you invite them, you better be here. You better meet them at the door, and you better sit with them, okay? So invite them. Let's fulfill the purpose that God's given us. Let's accomplish this mission that he's given TBA, to be a church that lives sent, to be a people that live out our faith outside of these walls and then invite people in to a relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a gracious and loving God and that you did not give up on us, Lord. That you continued to pursue us. God, and you continue to pursue us now. Father, my prayer is that we would be obedient to the call that you've given this church. We would be obedient to the call that you've given us as followers of Christ. God, that we would carry the weight of spreading your good news and gospel. God, that it would be heavy on our hearts. That we wouldn't just go about life doing our own thing, fulfilling our own desires, God, but our desires and our heart would be about you, would be about your plans, would be about your purpose. God, help us to feel that heavily to feel the burden of salvation of the people that live around us and work with us and live next to us. God, help us to feel that way and to be obedient, to be obedient to your call to share Jesus' love with those around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you'll stand with me.